0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. Today, we have Greg Dutcher. Greg, say hello. Hello. And once again, Steve Hartland. Steve, say hi to everyone out there. Hey, hi, everyone out there. Now, Steve, we have a a little bit of a medical update from you, so please uh, just let everyone out there uh, know what's going on with you um, so that they can be uh, praying for you.
1: Yeah, interesting things are going on. That is um, about seven weeks ago, I had surgery on my left elbow. It's really the tricep tendon was partially torn away from the bone. So they fixed that up and I was recovering really nicely. And then last Monday, I had a little mishap with uh, an 800 pound Harley and a 100 pound wife on the Harley (laughs) kind of tipping over in a parking lot and I had to muscle the thing and I completely ripped that tendon off this time. So I'm back in for surgery on Friday and starting all over. No motorcycle all summer.
0: We will. We will definitely be keeping you in prayer. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. It's rough.
2: Can I ask, Steve? What is it like, pain-wise, to have your entire tricep torn? off
1: yeah when that happened i think it was honestly the worst pain of my life by far so i'd say it was uh, on a scale of one to ten ten being the worst pain it was about two (laughs) thousand
2: wow yeah wow you said your face went white you felt sick i was sick and
1: debbie said she never heard me scream so loud
2: not like a girl but but i screamed Uh steve if it's any consolation when you were here last time we were talking about working out or something Remember, i said uh, that's why I choose not to do that, to keep oh, myself pastor-ready. Yeah, I remember well, that. What was it, dude, like two days later? Yeah, yeah, See, yeah. Steve doesn't even know that. I was at the gas station. Yes. <laughs> and I was involved in the uh, strenuous activity of throwing away a paper coffee cup from my car. Uh, and I pivoted, and I went down Oh. at the gas station. Oh. My back just completely gave out on me. And I thought, this is cool. I just have to give it a minute, and I'll be able to get up. Could not get up. Uh, 80-some-year-old lady pulls in. Uh, I'm trying to look natural, <laughs> so, <laughs> just relaxing here on the parking lot. I'm looking lot. for relaxing, my keys. Yeah. <laughs> I Sometimes like to sit on the uh, glass, scattered concrete. Uh. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm there, and this uh, dear woman comes up, and uh, eventually she says, "Sir, are you, are you okay?" Right? And yeah. I said, "You know, I don't think so, Miss. I think I threw my back out." And uh, she goes, "I don't, I don't think I can help you up." And I said, <laughs> "Nope, nope, I don't think you could, and So she got the young, 16 year old kid that worked at the little cashier to come out. Well, about six cars were coming in. So a lot of people at church said, you know, if they believed in divine karma, I said, so there's got to be a a biblical version. I guess it's sowing and reaping would be the closest thing. I sowed uh, mocking seeds towards Steve. I reaped justice. I just want to know,
1: did anybody catch that on
2: video? That would have been amazing. Fortunately, no. Here's Pastor
1: Greg lying in the street. (laughs) That
2: That was nice at 44 years of old to not be able to Literally stand up. So wow. uh, are you all right now? Much better. See, much uh, man, good. and for you, bro, I know how much yeah. riding means to you, yeah. and to go a whole summer without being on that uh, bike.
1: Well, this weekend though, I'm going to be a very happy man because they're going to supply me with oxy.
2: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm
1: going to have spiritual highs. Yeah, uh, you are, uh, go- dude.
2: That's a great time to ride. I a might sermon. receive some
1: revelation. Right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: Yeah, I want to uh, check back in with Steve. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Insights that he had in his uh, that's oxy right. moment. We'll that's do a right. call in on
0: Saturday. That could be yes, really good. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so today, actually, um, Steve, this kind of seems to be uh, the thing that we're doing with you. And you know, we talked about um, legalism and and how we behave as believers. Then our second topic with you was how do we um, just become less, you know, jerky? Or why do my you know uh, non Christian friends seem like you know they uh, I, I spend I enjoy spending more time with them. Today we're going to be talking about evangelism. How do we um, naturally transition into evangelizing to our non-Christian friends when we're talking about everyday subjects, you know, and all too often you hear the joke, um, yeah, you know, the weather's so great outside. And by the way, did you know God created the weather? (laughs) Um, And and are you saved, brother? That's right. Exactly. Um, So today, uh, Greg and Steve, we're just gonna um, chat a little bit. How do we make for these natural transitions and segues how can we or or can we naturally bring them up can we manufacture them how how do we do that
2: yeah I think it's better Steve I don't know if you feel this way that we just uh, we go the hyper-Calvinist route (laughs) <laughs> and uh, isn't that what William Carey I think was told? God wants to save him; he will. If God wants to save him; he will. Yeah. Him, he will yeah. And that way, we can just do what we want and be at Starbucks and <laughs> hanging out with you know friends and watching movies. You and know, all
1: that I, kind of stuff. I honestly think in the reformed communities I've moved around in, sometimes people have at least a dose of that hyper Calvinism in them. No doubt, and they're like thinking, you know, I don't really have to push this. I don't have to worry about this because God's going to save people anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I I I've experienced that too, Steve. I think. Um, I shared that one time that a um, friend of mine from the past, way, way back when, um, his parent passed away. And um, you know his – I'm I'm not going to say which parent. I I don't want to give too much information to Uh get the identity of the person. I don't think there's any way they would know. But uh, this person's parent had been sick for several months. um, And we were praying for our friend who admitted he needed the courage to talk to his loved one about Christ and um you know we we never really checked back in weren't really sure what was happening parent passed away i'm meeting with this friend at at a burger king uh and we're talking about this and he actually said to me and and you know it was a this strong believer loves the lord um without any reservation and said yeah doctor i know i know we're not supposed to do this but i know that if he was elect he was going to be saved and if he wasn't he wasn't and it was a really alarming spot for me because it was one of the few times I actually heard articulated what we might suspect that people would use the doctrine of election as sort of a, uh, well, not sort of, I guess a justification for for not being involved in the means that God calls us to engage lost people and in, and in, in sharing Christ with them. Um, to me, it would be better to say, hey, I, I chickened out and I'm not sure what to do about that now. My loved one is gone. To have a conversation about that and the difficulties of sharing Christ with even our loved ones, um, I'd rather have that conversation than somebody just say, "Well, they're elect. They're elect. If they're not, they're not."
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. You've probably heard the story about uh, somebody was having this conversation with Charles. Hadley. Why don't you? So why did you just preach to the elect? And uh, reportedly, Spurgeon answered, "Well." If you will come with me and pull up their shirt tail so I can see where it's stamped elect, that I'll just preach to them. (laughs) Yeah. No, The point is, we don't even know who the elect are, so we just have to preach to everybody.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: But I think we could put this uh, this hyper-Calvinism in the uh, category of excuses for non-evangelism, and that reminds me, I'm getting off on a tangent, stop me if you want, that reminds me of other excuses. Like, I, I have... Uh, I've had more than a few people say things like this to me. Well, pastor, we really can't evangelize our non-Christian friends till we first learn how to love one another. And the person talking to me has been a Christian like 34 years. And I'm I'm like, well, when is that going to happen? You know, When are we going to learn to love? We're never going to learn to love one another like we ought to. So we're never going to evangelize anybody. All kinds of excuses come up. It's true.
2: Maybe it's just six more years, like 40, right? It's a biblical number. Uh Wandering in the wilderness. Maybe you go to the promised land. So that's it. So I've only been a believer twenty nine years. So man, I got another eleven till I got to start. You don't have to worry about it right. yet. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, yeah, I've 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 heard that too, Steve. That's so interesting. When the to me the idea of loving one another, uh, you know, uh, what what Jesus says in um, in John, you know, by this all men will know that you yeah. are my disciples. And again, that person might use it. See, we don't know that yet. Huh. Th- this should be ongoing. I mean, I think part of loving and uh, is learning. Uh, and learning patience, learning forgiveness, mm-hmm. admitting, hey, man, I blew it last week. Yeah, I just cold-shouldered you. It was terrible. And somehow, as people see that in us, that we're actually caring to grow spiritually, to learn how to love difficult people, uh, learn how to make, you know, since we are the difficult people sometimes, to receive that love, that should be OJT, on the on-the-job training for a watching world but yeah it is amazing the excuses people will come up with the other one of course that i hear a lot and i i don't think i've ever consciously used but i've probably subconsciously retreated into this in the past yeah
1: i've made some excuses for me too yeah
2: (laughs) say i'm i'm not an evangelist Uh that guy right there he is an evangelist yeah Yeah. he can share um But I think part of it, uh, Steve, for me, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. We were talking about this a little bit before the podcast aired today. Uh, I've got a neighbor who I'm very friendly with. Uh, We've had great conversations. Uh, This is going on for coming up on two years this summer since we moved to our new home. Talking about Christ feels awkward. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's... um, in some ways, in my mind, I harbor a Amway persona, and all due respect to any listeners out there involved in Amway or something, I I have come <laughs> to loathe, and when an old friend calls, th- this happened to me, this happened to me about a year ago, old friend called, said, Dutchman, I'd love to get together with you, and just connect, and I gotta admit, it was a busy time, and uh, I'm sure, Steve, you rest with us all the time, pastors, managing your schedule. And you feel like you don't give enough time to your own people in your church. And you've got outside folks that, that you love, you care about, you've got a history with. And you think, okay, okay, it's hard, but I'm going to squeeze this meeting in with this person. And uh, we met at Panera. We had a great conversation. It felt like we, we couldn't get over a hump, though. You know, we're talking about our families, oh, this and that. We're talking about hobbies and interests. And at some point near the end of that meeting, hey, I, I wanted to talk to you, Greg, about an opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm. Here it comes.
2: And the moment we hit that, it's like jumping the shark, you know, in the old TV shows, that yeah. moment where you've gone to a place that probably isn't the best place to go. So I guess part of it feels like at some point when we're conversing with a friend, family member, coworker who's not a believer, um, and you introduce Christ into the subject. Yeah, uh, it can, it ha- can sometimes have that Amway feel. Now I don't know—is that just fear of man? Is that just uh, fear of being disliked, or is it something more organic and conversational? Yeah.
0: Well, here's my question. I mean, you know, when we get together um, as believers, do we always talk about theology? Do we always talk about you know Christian living and in, in God and Jesus, important topics? But do we always do that? And so my question is. Do we always have to do that with our unbelieving friends? Mm-hmm. Can't we have, I mean, at some point I feel like in the course of a friendship, these things are going to come up and come out at some point. So do we have to manufacture a situation where we feel like, Good question. we have to do this now because what if they die and you know, they don't know Jesus? So I have to tell them about Jesus now. What are your guys' mm-hmm. thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think uh, – I like the way you set up the subject here. It's evangelizing our friends or sharing Christ with our friends. It's harder with somebody who's not my friend than I really feel yeah. like the Amway guy, right? Mm-hmm. right? So so depth of relationship really, really helps us for me. And like you're saying, Nathan, I, th- I think I totally agree that uh, – If you've really got a friendship going, the topic is going to come up. It's going to be pretty natural. You don't have to manufacture opportunities. Uh, You're all together and you hear something on the radio and they're talking about God something and they turn to you and say, what do you think of that? Or, you know, you're a Christian. What do you say? But, um. Sometimes even with, with good friends, and I've cultivated friendships with them. I've taken them out to dinner. I've had them in my house, and the conversation still hasn't happened. Sometimes I've had to manufacture it a little bit. Yeah. And so one of my favorite manufacturers was a buddy of mine and I were out riding bicycles together, and we rode a lot in those days. Um, so we're out riding one day, just taking it easy. And uh, I don't know how I got to this, but I just I just asked him kind of out of the clear blue. So uh, so Jason, that's his name, and he he's a Christian now. Yeah. So, so Jason uh, – You ever you ever think you'd like to be closer to God? Hmm. And he and he says, Well well yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I said, Well, you know, how do you how do you think you might get there? And then this is is not the answer I expected. He said, Well go to your church.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like like he thought I was fishing for that or something. Yeah. In, no, 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 man. It's not about going to my church. I mean, you're welcome to come to my church. but uh, And then you know, kind of got into a gospel conversation from there. And pretty soon um, we had them over for dinner or they had us for dinner. We had a full blown all evening gospel conversation. And yeah. after a little while, they, they both became believers.
2: Wow. Now was your next point after that uh, tithing, tithing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i think that really uh-huh. closes the sale yeah that, that and point. the
1: nephilim right. in Genesis 6 one yeah. <laughs> right. of them to be solid on that yes yes we uh-huh. want them
2: to know that they're not angels <laughs> dave, dave. dave Shive. <laughs> hear that dave you're being uh-huh. ganged up on um no i like that steve cuz there there does come a time where maybe let's be honest it is spiritual resistance
0: yeah
2: uh in my old neighborhood my next door neighbor he and I got very close, and we were talking about spiritual things fairly regularly. I did notice that his wife... Now, I'm careful when I say this. I'm not making comment about wives or women in general. It was just their dynamic. Whenever we would touch on a spiritual subject, she had an amazing ability to change the subject. Uh, I always uh-huh. had a, a better avenue of communication when it was just the two of us. Mm-hmm. When she was there, subject would be changed. And, and it wasn't abrupt often. It was just... Uh, she had an amazing ability to take an incidental detail in what was being talked about and turn pivot on that incidental detail into a whole new conversation and i think at that point you can be do more damage by trying to bring it back yeah you know, you know so. cuz that's where you start feeling like the, sales the salesman yeah, yeah it's interesting that yeah, that purple thing you mentioned you know it's interesting purple's the color of royalty yeah. like <laughs> king jesus uh-huh. um in fact a friend of mine here at at cfc knowing where we were going to have our friend now uh, steve uh Steve Maleski, on sorry, yeah, yeah. Steve blanking on your name, he's not listening. But we uh, had him on to talk about the Orioles. Um, somebody here at church said, "Dutcher, you should just make this an awkward, cheesy evangelistic attempt, <laughs> and just say, you know, Steve, it's interesting. Have you ever considered that Jesus hit a grand slam for you?" <laughs> you know? And you can kind of hear the what, "Oh man!" What, 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 what? in the conversation. Yeah, there is a point where it's. It is a little cheesy. It's a little mm-hmm. artificial. When I was in Campus Crusade back in uh, my college days at Towson, the the thing there, now I feel differently about it now, it was a different style of evangelism. It was a good experience, not what I would practice today, mm-hmm. but we were going door to door, through dorms, et cetera. We always led with the survey, mm-hmm. and the joke on the survey became how irrelevant the survey was. <laughs> uh, question one, it's like about Easter, you know, Easter time. Uh-huh. So, uh... When you were a kid, did uh, was Easter a big deal in your home? Uh, I don't know, yeah. I guess so. Yeah, eggs and candy. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any good memories from Easter? Uh, I guess I liked uh, you know the candy and the getting together with my family. Oh, is it still a big deal? No, not really as much. Oh, yeah. Hey, this last question for you. If you could uh, have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, would you be interested? <laughs> <laughs> and immediately you would just see the countenance fall and the, uh, what is this? And I actually came to the point where I realized, wait a minute, we're, we might be lying because we're not taking a survey. right? We're not taking the data back to Central Command and tallying the results. Yeah. The survey was just a flimsy way of getting to that awkward fourth question. Um, and normally when we're at a conference, uh, you know, um, we were at a pastor's conference a month or so ago, and uh, the guy leading it had everybody raise their hands. You've, you've probably had this, hey, how many of you came to Christ um, through a family member, through a friendship. And it's a very, very small number of people. I'm not saying none, because right. God can use anything, but it's a small number of people that have come to Christ through one of those cold-calling evangelism things. Yeah. Most everybody says it was a friend, it was yeah. a family member, somebody that was embedded in my life, um, where there was opportunity for engagement and conversation, and that I could see that person's life, too, lived yeah. out before me, yeah. which is, i got to say, that was what we talked about yesterday.
1: Yeah, I... I want to make it real clear. I got to be honest. I do not consider myself to be a great natural evangelist. Just with, yeah. you know. I preach the gospel pretty easily, right, from behind sure. the little pulpit. Oh, but yeah, but uh, yeah. uh, to create opportunities that are natural and lead into gospel, I, I'm not really good at that. I'd like to be. I wish I was a great example. But things do happen for me. So, for yeah. example, one of my most recent opportunities was uh, I, I'm, I'm at the gym four days a week for about an hour. Yeah. I really like going to the gym. I like hanging out with guys. I, I talk a lot with guys. Sure. I have a lot of friends at the gym. I don't know most of their names, but they're gym buddies. Right. So, yeah. uh, so we talk. So just a couple weeks ago, guys talking to me and uh, – he says, uh, "Yeah, I had a great leg workout on Sunday morning." And then he kind of looked and he said, "Oh, that's when you were at church, wasn't it?" <laughs> and,
0: and
1: I and I just thought, "Well, this is my opportunity." So I said, "Yeah, man, why don't you come to come to my church next week?" Wow. And he said, well, not next week. I said, well, how about Easter Sunday? And he said, you know, I just might do that. And then he started asking questions. No way. He said, I work with a Jehovah's Witness guy, and they teach this, and they teach that. What do you think about that? So we're standing in the gym. We should have been having our next set, you know, eight reps. But uh, we're we're standing there talking. It got very gospel. Some guys are listening in. Some guys are fleeing. You know, it's like you turn the lights on and the roaches run. The roaches were running, (laughs) getting away from this conversation. But we got a full-blown, all-out gospel conversation that some other guys got into. And I didn't have to manually. Manufacture a thing. All I wow. had to do was ask. Would you want to come to my church? Yeah. yeah.
2: No, that's great, Steve. That's great. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that, Steve, as a general strategy of inviting people to church? Because I'm, I'm wondering, people listening today might be thinking, man, I, I'm terrified. I, I just don't even know. So that sometimes I find if you give something maybe achievable, you know, extending a an step. invitation to church. Uh-huh. I'm just curious. What are your thoughts on that? An invitation to church. As not a substitute for evangelism, if you think of evangelism from the standpoint of actually sharing Christ, sharing your faith in him, uh, the heart of the gospel with a person, um, what do you think about just trying to cultivate a, a, a greater readiness, preparedness to invite people to your church? Yeah, I think it's a real fine
1: strategy. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to remember all the time that it's the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ, and we're not all one member. So, some members are really verbal and it's easy for them to talk about stuff, the gospel, whatever. And other members, it's really not so much. And and I feel bad pushing those members saying, Well, you ought to have a gospel conversation tomorrow. They can hardly talk about the weather with a friend, you know, they're just struggling. But uh, most people can say, Well, you know, we have this thing at church on Sunday, and I really like it. Would you want to come with me? Yeah. So, I like it as a strategy, and it's also kind of uh, low-key. You don't have to be a salesman. You don't have to right. say, you know, how's your relationship with Jesus? You can just bring them to church and then have them for lunch afterward yeah. and say, well, what, what did you think? Did what you did have you any impressions? Of yeah. And yep. off the conversation goes. Yeah,
2: I, I love that teamwork mentality because you're bringing them to the larger community. That I think we've talked about uh, Tim Chester's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that, Total Church? Yeah, Total Church. Where he talks about that. It, it, it In the context of... Christian relationships to invite somebody into that web of relationships. That could be a community group. It could be
1: yeah, church. I love that.
2: It's not just you yeah. being you know judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah. Might not be the best analogy for us, <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> you're, harsh. you're 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 just willing to invite that person and then to, to follow up with them at work and say, hey, what did you think about that? Yep. Yeah. You know, what were your thoughts on that? See where the conversation goes. I love that.
0: Can I say too that as Christians, when we Go out, and we're we're trying to evangelize. We need to be willing to be um, just as open to what they're thinking and saying and doing as well. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's great to invite somebody. But let's say I'm I'm talking with you know a Buddhist or a Muslim, you know, and I want to invite them to church. Um, I think it can do just as much good to be willing if they invite you to their temple to say, hey, yeah, you know what, I don't mind going with you. I agree. You know, if you know you're inviting them to church and. You know, their church might be the bar, you know, being willing to say, hey, you right. know what, how about we go out for drinks, you know, and if you drink or don't drink, you can at least go out for a Coke sure. and hang with the person, you know, but but being willing, I think sometimes there's a hesitancy to get involved in these people's lives. Yeah. Like we're just here to save them and get out. Yeah, There's no connection and attachment. And I think we're here so that we can make these connections and attachments to these people so that we can... Um, not just insert um, Jesus into their life, but we insert ourselves into their lives as well and we become a part of their life and we take interest in the things that they take interest in. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I I don't want to overstate this. I don't want to use a wrong term, but I, I really hate I really hate that idea of just the only thing I can do with a non-Christian is drop gospel bombs on them and yeah, run. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just hate that. And I've actually had Christians in our church; they're not in our church any longer. It didn't work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Christians in our church who were like, uh, you know, you can't really be their friends. And then they quote James: "Friendship with the world is enmity with God." Mm-hmm. As if that meant you can't be a friend with a non-Christian, right? So, right. and I asked them, "Well, are your kids saved yet?" No. Or are you their friends? You know. Anyway, right, just, right, yeah. right, but. Yeah. Uh, Uh, So their idea is, you know, all I can do is, my only relationship with them is I can preach the gospel and call them to repent. All right, well, you haven't brought many people to church, have you? Yeah, Uh, right. right.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and that's so uh, true, Steve. That ties into what you shared last time. I think you made uh, the observation from Tim Keller's thoughts on common grace that if everybody we're encountering is an image bearer of God, Mm -hmm. what does that mean in terms of our relationships? I mean, I... I think to sit back and really learn things from unbelievers is yep. it's something we can do. Yeah. It's not like oh wow, it's an unbeliever and they had something of substance to yeah. share. Yeah. I mean sometimes an insight they may have could be eye-opening. Yeah. You know, it's it's sort of like all truth is God's true thing applied to human relationship yeah.
1: instead some christians give off the aura that look you the non-christian friend you're the learner i'm the teacher right all information will travel one direction here right. you, know, you have nothing to say <laughs> right. yeah much better what you're saying i love it they do have things to say absolutely
2: yeah absolutely that that are valuable and sometimes i think too i mean i just wait when you realize well, i really care about this person and if they die without christ as tragic as it is I I love this person. I've come to really care and and crave this person's presence in my life. Because I do think, to your point, Nathan, uh, and having, unfortunately, some experience with treating people as salvation projects, I think they can sniff it out. Yeah, I think they can sense it. Yeah. Uh You know, that, yeah, you're... I'm a project you. Again, it kind of goes back to that uh, that Amway feel. Yeah. This relationship yeah. has value insofar as I sign on the dotted line. Yeah. Right. And if I don't, there's really no point. And but I think they can sense it.
1: Fortunately, by the same token, they can sense genuine love.
0: Yes. They can yes. sense
1: that you care about them, you're investing in their life, you want them in your life. Yeah. 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 Good point.
0: Yeah. Um, so just uh, any any kind of last thoughts or comments um, as we move into our next, um, before we move into our next topic, I should say. Greg? Uh,
2: no. This is the first time ever on this podcast I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> date, we should all mark, and mark and this gentlemen. Write <laughs> <moment. laughs> a sila right there. Uh. Wait, I just remember 27 things. <laughs> no, I, 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 Steve? I uh,
1: yeah, my favorite verse on evangelism and all of Scripture is in Colossians, I believe it. It's chapter three, isn't it? Uh, Let your speech be always with grace, or always be with grace, mm-hmm. seasoned with salt that you may know how to answer. And answer doesn't mean it's the Hebrew idea of answer. It doesn't mean if they ask you a question, answer. It's you can answer the circumstance. You can answer the need. That you may know how to answer each one. So I just love that first, my speech is always, always, always. Oh, and in the same context is walking wisdom toward outsiders, redeeming the time. Well, how do I do that? Let my speech always be with grace. So it ought to be gracious speech, not condescending, patronizing speech, gracious speech, and then seasoned with salt. And I have this picture in my mind that that always comes to me when I read that, where like if you're my non-Christian friend, I open your mouth and grab your tongue and pull it out and sprinkle some salt on it, and, and you go,
2: ooh, ooh I, can t- I can taste that. Yeah.
1: So there ought to be some salt in my conversation, you know? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. And
2: I, I, I'm actually going to do that literally, Steve, and see if it opens doors for evangelism.
1: <laughs> grab the tongue. Grab people's tongue. Sprinkle tongues. some gospel on there. Yeah,
2: pour salt. Uh-huh. No, but I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I love
1: absolutely. that verse, and it's directed to every Christian. Yeah. You know, to yeah. the extent that I can, let my speech be with grace, season yeah. it with salt.
0: Yeah, no, that's great, and I think too, like, you know, when when I read about the gift of evangelism, I think about my uncle who he's the type of guy who, you know, could go on the corner, pull out a track, and lead somebody to Christ. I I think of I think about that as somebody with the gift of evangelism. That's a gift. Yeah. But I think of someone else who you know, and it seems like the three of us are pretty similar. Where, you know, for us, we're never going to do that, and I and I think there's where the distinction is, you know. Being out there and just screaming the word of God on the street isn't the thing, but going in, cultivating relationships and being open and willing to share the gospel,
1: um, and again, like Greg said a few minutes ago, if we did a survey and found out how everybody who's ever come to Christ came to Christ, yeah, there would be somebody who came to Christ because of a guy screaming on the street corner. Right. So bless that. Bless right. that ministry. Yep. Bless those guys who do it. But
0: I bet that's a very small yeah. percentage, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think so.
1: Mostly it's a friend of mine talked to me. Yeah. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So uh, segueing, um, well, actually, there is no segue. There's nothing to segue. We're just going to totally <laughs> change topics here. Um, so our, our next topic um, we're going to talk about is marriage. Um, and so uh, Greg and Steve, you guys are pastors. You've married a lot of people. The first topic within the marriage discussion that we're going to talk about is um, unbelievers. Would you guys guys marry unbelievers? Um, there are some pastors who wouldn't. Um, Greg, you actually mentioned you have some pastor friends who wouldn't. I do. Um, you know, and I'm assuming you've talked to them about that. Sure. And And um, so, just talk to us about that. You know, why would you do it? Give us your reasonings um, based on friends that you have who wouldn't. Give us their reasoning. Yeah. What's just... their
1: reasoning? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Uh,
2: I've got two friends that are that are pastors. Uh, none of whom are known. They haven't been guests on this podcast, so uh, <laughs> nobody has to guess that won't marry unbelievers. One, it, it's just more pragmatic. It's a time management issue, which mm-hmm. which I get and I actually as the church grows and Steve you might have this, you can tap into that a little bit if mm-hmm. you get somebody from the outside calling uh to tie it back to the previous topic. See, we can segue there backwards. You go. Uh, you can always think of it as a as a, a, absolutely an opportunity to share Christ with Amen. them, right. which is golden, big time, and and, I've had and their that. family, oh, their whole family. Yeah, yeah and yeah. you know, I've been up front with people in the past and and said, look, you know, just to let you know, uh, my goal at your wedding is not to proselytize, but because you've come to a, a pastor, a Christian pastor, this is what I share about mm-hmm. um, a wedding that I think the best example of love is Christ, how He loves us, and what He did for us. And, uh, you know, I don't I do not do a song and dance about that. I right. don't have tracks that are handed out. I'm not going to do an altar call, but I will share this. I'd say every time, I, I won't even say 99 times out of 100, Steve, mm-hmm. every time I've said to somebody, this is what I'd like to share, Yeah, it's cool. Yeah,
1: they're all fine with yeah, they're it. Yeah, they fine. love it. Because, yep. you know,
2: they're, they're, they're looking for... We're getting married. Right. Yeah, we're getting married. <laughs> so you could get up there and talk about jumping jacks or something. Yeah. Who cares? So... Um, What will happen uh, for some pastors, like one, it's more of a pragmatic concern. The other feels that, what would be the point? This would be his argument. Because true marriage, as he sees it, is a Christian marriage. I don't agree with that. I don't either. Yeah, I think uh, a Christian marriage has some opportunities to go to a place that we would say a non-Christian marriage doesn't. Um, So to me... Marriage is rooted in creation. Yes. It's best illustrated, I would agree, uh-huh. in redemption. You know, Ephesians, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's a redemptive picture. But uh, people have been married for 50 years that don't know Christ <laughs> and have a legitimate marriage yeah. mm-hmm. because God said it's not good for a man to be alone. Uh, and I will say this I don't know if you feel this, Steve, but sometimes, you know, couples living together. And they say, yeah, I don't know if you would marry us because we live together. Hey, you're going to see we have the same address. I'd always rather see a couple that's living together get married. Let's get married. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Let's make the situation better. <laughs> I, I'd rather see that. So I think it's a um, – I don't see it as a sacrament. Uh, I see it as, mm. a, uh, a, as an institution blessed by God, a man, a woman together in marriage for life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, yes, to non-Christians, it's legitimate – I would say, in the eyes of God, for them to marry and it be a real thing.
0: Could we almost equate it to the government, even though there, even if there's a godless government, God is still ordained government, and so therefore it sure. is good. Yeah, in his same eyes. thing. Yeah, uh-huh.
2: man, you're, you're giving a preview of the upcoming First Peter sermons. Uh-huh. Nobody cares about that. But, um, <laughs> um, uh, about another, you,
1: another reason I've heard guys say that they do not want to perform uh, wedding ceremonies with non Christians is uh, they say I, I'll be putting words in their mouth that they don't really mean. I'll be putting words in the ceremony that they don't really embrace and endorse, so we'll be lying. Right. Well, all right, Um, I wanna ask that guy, do you have any people in your church who are not Christians? (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Do you forbid them from singing? Right. Because right? yeah. they're singing lies, right? right, you know, right. If they're going to call it lying. Good point. Actually, I would say what they're singing may be a means of grace to them, and they're learning from this. It's a great learning opportunity. Sure. And in the same yeah. way, uh, having their wedding. And, and they say some things that they don't really fully embrace, but man, I got them to think about those things and say those things, and it may be a means of grace to them. Yeah. So,
2: Absolutely, Steve.
1: I don't agree with those guys' reasoning.
2: No, that's, that's an interesting point. Kids come to my mind. You know, uh, my kids when they're very young, been a vacation Bible school and they're learning memory verses when they might not even be believers yet.
1: There you go. But yeah. they're
2: learning, you know, I love the Lord and uh, right. they'll sing these songs, as you said. They'll say these. The other thing too, this is could really take us on another topic, but, my friend mike shive and i dave's son yeah who i'd like to get on here sometime by the way hmm. how old is um, he mike is uh let me see he's about five years young i want to say he's 39 hmm. is that right mike call in and let us know
1: but the m- phones are ringing yeah <laughs>
2: that's here here make, make your iphone ring see. That, that'll give an authentic feel to this podcast
0: and then we'll just make something up yes
2: <laughs> he uh wow i just lost my thought uh-oh all uh, Mike Shive, uh, what were we... uh, Weddings. Weddings. Sorry, Mike, I was going to have a great story about (laughs) you. Oh,
1: man, I derailed you. I'm sorry.
2: No, that's all right, dude. That's all right. Uh, What were we talking about in general? Maybe it'll come back.
0: Uh, We were just talking about marriage and whether you'd marry unbelievers or not, and you were about to equate it to something in the church, your children, not really... Oh, yeah.
2: Got it. Thank you. (laughs) There we go. Singing songs, even from a Christian perspective. Uh, There was a song we used to do at my former church where Mike was the worship leader, and I can't remember what it's called, but it's, I'm falling on my knees, offering all of me, oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah. you're all this hard as living uh-huh. for me. And Mike asked one time, is there any one of us Who of really? which that's true? <laughs> yeah. So we started saying... Could we come up with this thing where we have realistic worship songs? Like
1: like, like I want to, I'm trying to. Yeah,
2: yeah. Instead of I'm falling on my knees, I'm sitting on my butt and then it's uh, I'm really hungry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of the ravens, and it's like I'm offering half of me. Yeah. The other half is really,
0: you know, uh-huh. confused by this issue and that issue. Jesus, the, sometimes you're what I'm looking for. Yes, yes. If you yeah. think
2: about it, every time we sing a song of pure devotion to Christ. What you're saying, Steve, I mean, we're singing the ideal. That's right. We're singing what we hope our hearts long to be.
1: And it's fine for us to do so.
2: Of course, because God receives all that in his grace, knowing that it's not true of any of us. Yeah. Uh, Which, you know, I mean, the songs that we're safest to sing are probably the songs that describe what God has done in (laughs) Christ alone. Uh But we are called, I think, to sing, you know, sometimes those songs that are of personal devotion. So, yeah, that's an interesting thought, Steve. The other thought I have in terms of a wedding ceremony is, um, you know, it is the the ideal. And uh, one of my friends will say, God won't bless a non-Christian marriage. That's why he won't do it. Which Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure what that means. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I won't even comment on as much as that theologically. I'm always uncomfortable with God blesses this, doesn't bless that. Sometimes those things get thrown out rather quickly. But the the question is, in the eyes of God, uh, uh, 13th century China... A man and a woman uh, meet; they mm-hmm. love one another, or it's arranged, and they marry. Yeah. Are we saying that God doesn't? Does care God about hate that, that or something? That? Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a natural um, institution. Yeah. And yep. so, for us to have the opportunity to come along and say, "Yeah, you know, we we live in a country where the state gives us this um, <laughs> authority." Right. Um, by the way, Steve, how do you say that in a ceremony? Do you mention the state? I do not. Interesting. I yes. do. do you? I'd have to go back and uh, look. I think I do a hybrid. I think I'm a, I'm a weenie with this. I think I say, by the power invested in me uh, as the agent of the state and the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. Interesting. So what do you do? And why don't you? I'd love to hear that.
1: Yeah, that's a big subject, really. Okay. Maybe we'll get into it. Okay. But uh, the, sh- the real short end of the subject is uh, I don't work for the state. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not their employee. I'm not doing their business, and uh, I don't think they have vested authority in me. To merit. I think, um, you know, the Bible vests authority in me. Being yeah. a minister of the gospel vests authority in me. Yeah. So I just say by the authority uh, vested in me as a minister of the gospel. Right. I pronounce you. I had a wedding yesterday. And that's what I said. Wow, I pronounce you man and wife. Yeah.
2: Hey, Steve, you might get me to change it. I mean, believe me, I don't say it out of any vested conviction. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I would. I mean, the way that I would say it as well. I recognize that the state recognizes me to perform yeah. the ceremony, but I—I I don't know. I you know what, take no, that out of there.
1: realistically, anyone can sign those certificates. I know, it I doesn't know. even matter. It's not like they've invested authority in no, anybody. No, yeah.
2: no. Particularly, uh, I've been told in the state of Maryland that you know, if Joe Schmo acknowledges his next-door neighbor is his kind of religious professional, yeah. whatever done. term is, it's done. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah, so it's it's really. You know, it's just, we're, we're kind of coasting on tradition here. People expect a pastor sure. to marry them, yeah, a clergyman I, of some sort.
1: I wonder what these people who think, you know, maybe the marriage of two non-Christians is not fully legitimate, what do they think the world is supposed to look like? Are, are most non-Christians then supposed to be unmarried and just, you know, yeah. shacking yeah. up together yeah. or, or what? Right.
2: No. Yeah, well, no, that's wrong too. I think we need to insist that non-Christians uh, don't live together, uh, don't cohabitate sexually, yeah. and don't get married. <laughs> don't need to be celibate, uh, guys. Yeah. That's my new uh, mission as a pastor yeah. in reaching a world for Christ. Showing them the attractiveness of the gospel.
1: <laughs>
2: Wait, is that wrong? Yeah. Is that wrong? <laughs> is, that, is, that wrong? Uh-huh. is that not, not going to work?
0: We can edit this podcast <laughs> later, right? Is we can. We uh, probably can. won't. We probably won't. <laughs> won't. But we, we, we could. Uh, Let me ask you guys this then. Um, so how, uh, because this is going to jump into the third piece um, once we get there. So this is kind of the second piece. How would you guys define marriage and what does that look like in the context of history and what it's become culturally? How would you guys establish that? Because, you know, looking, um, looking throughout um, history, looking throughout different cultures, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a, a pastor who's performing this. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you know, and even in, in, in the United States, it doesn't necessarily have to be a pastor. Sure. And in scripture. Um, Right, and so yeah. so, how would you guys view um, how God has ordained marriage, who can perform marriage, so just marriage in general, how would you define marriage um, and its legitimacy and all of that?
1: Oh, I love this topic, so uh, how long do we have? As <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> long as you want, Steve. Uh, well, uh, to cut right to the heart of the thing, I think, you can differ with me, I think Uh, The best best biblical definition of marriage is something like this. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman, and it's a man and a woman, in in the presence of God, a covenant to live together in a unique, intimate way that includes sexual intimacy, and the definitions usually have that specifically included in it. So it's a covenant made between a man and a woman and, and God. That covenant can and does take many different forms in times and cultures and so on. Mm-hmm. For instance, if you look in scripture, I don't think, you correct me, I don't think there's ever an instance of a minister officiating at a wedding. Mm-hmm. I don't think there is. And Paul doesn't right write to Titus, you know, and when you do the weddings, blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. Um, uh, there, are, there are weddings in the Old Testament where there was no ceremony, but but it was a wedding uh, because these people made a covenant before God. So, you know, this gets us into the question then of uh, uh, what, what then, I don't know if you want to go here now, what what would the state's role be then? Where does the state come into this? Um, do you want me to go into that? Do you want to
2: talk Please, about the state? Yeah, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah? All right. So it's interesting. I think this is good history. I'm not a historian, but I think this is good history. Uh, in most of time, most people who got married did not have anything from the state, a sheet of paper that they had to sign or whatever. That just didn't exist for most people most of the time. In many places on the earth today, it still does not exist, but yet they get married. Sure. How do they do that without the state? <laughs> um, uh, even in the United States, here's what I've read. I, I, I've read it from a bunch of sources, so I think it has likelihood of being correct. That um, the the government did not get involved in marriage in the United States until the 1870s, right after the Civil War. When, um, frankly, the issue was—hope this is PC to talk about—the issue was blacks and whites started marrying interracially Mm -hmm. and the government said, Oh, we can't have that. We got to step in and start controlling who can marry whom. And so we're going to require them now to have a paper that we give them. And we'll say, yes, you may marry and you may not. The government has gotten out of the, uh, out of the business of regulating who can marry whom. Sure. But the government still wants to be in the business for good, good reasons to protect women, to protect, uh, children and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, uh is the only real marriage a government marriage mm. the answer of history is absolutely not sure i think the answer of scripture is absolutely not so here's the interesting thing should i pause one of you guys want to jump in should i pause keep going Here, here's an interesting thing this happened at our church some years ago and it's happened other times but i'll cite the one years ago because no one remembers it and good <laughs> so, so we have this couple great couple they're in there like upper 40s. and They have a grown son, a big boy, and uh, they're applying for membership in our church and they want to interview with the, with the elders and that's how we did it then. So, so we're all meeting at a table and, and they said, look, we just want to lay all our cards on the table and tell you we are not Legally, and they put it in quotes. You know, in the air, we are not legally married. Wow! Uh, it's our conviction that the state has no business in the matter, and so we just had our own private ceremony with family and friends and minister and so on. But we've never signed the document and so on. But we are as married as you are. We are as committed to each other as you are. We are in covenant, man and woman together before God. Would you guys be okay with that? Can we be members in your church? And we are going like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> wow, uh, yeah, that was You're all. Like, new.
2: yeah, I had that in. Um Seminary yeah.
1: I, I wish right. uh-huh. So you know, we had a little powwow And, and uh, looked at scripture on that and, and we had to arrive at the conclusion That we couldn't fault them mm-hmm. We couldn't say no your marriage Is not really legit because you don't have The state papers in, in this whole thing What do you think of that
2: Wow Steve it's every time I think I have encountered a uh, That I No longer encounter an odd situation In church life uh, either I have one this week or a pastor friend of mine has one this week or as you had one years ago. Um, yeah, I let me give you my gut instinct, Donna, because I haven't thought about this at all. I initially agree with you. All the cautionary notes aren't as much to do with um, the state as much as, okay, I picture... Um, 18-year-old kid, 17-year-old kid, uh-huh. hearing this, Whoopee. not that this makes it wrong, and they, <laughs> wow, I want to have sex with my girlfriend. And um, hey, you know what? Let's just, let's just marry in our hearts, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I should make them both 18, you know, so we remove yes. the minor status. Say they're both 18. Uh, they're in the freshman year of college or senior year of high school, and uh, they say, yeah, we can, we can sex now and be married. And you have to acknowledge it and bless it. Now, that, again, I don't like arguing from potential negative reactions, Steve, but I've never encountered that. I've talked to people uh, that have convictions, uh, and and I guess it is true that, yeah, the state does not or is not required for a legitimate marriage. I would agree with that. I'm sort of a bloom-where-you're-planted guy. So in Hmm. my mind, I, I tend to advise people, it's interesting, just this week, See, next week we'll have some controversy, I think, in the sermon. I'm in 1 Peter, um, you know, honor the king, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, the emperor. And I'm going to be in Jeremiah 29. I've already started preparing that message where God just fascinatingly says, Hey, you're in Babylon, seek the welfare of that city, get married, plant trees, live in houses, build houses seek the welfare and pray for that city, that I tend to think if there was ever a time for a call for a a William Wallace-like, hmm. rise up, <laughs> take your faith, and put it in the Babylonians' face, we're going to return to our holy land. That would be the time. And God, God is speaking through Jeremiah saying, bloom where you're planted in that city. So my general advice to Christians today are, do you feel like <laughs> having a state-recognized marriage is somehow harming your relationship with the Lord, my guess is 95% of Christians would say no. Yeah. There'd be a few real diehard yeah. yep. people with political convictions that would say yes. I'd say then just rock and roll with it. Yeah. So, And I'm, I don't hear you disagreeing with that, Steve.
1: No, I agree. In fact, there are somebody calculated, I don't know how they arrived at this, but there are over 500 financial benefits to getting a state certificate. So, so come on, smart up, go ahead and get that thing. Right. But here's why this is becoming more and more of an issue. Well, I guess there are several reasons, but here's a a big one is, uh, since more and more States like Maryland are legalizing gay marriage, here's how the reasoning among many evangelicals goes now. Um, Uh, Man, are we as gospel preachers going to be forced into that someday? Or are we going to be accused of hate crimes if we refuse to marry a gay couple? And so far, of course, all the legislation says, you know, we won't expect ministers to. But how long will that last? That's the concern. So there's a a growing number of evangelical leaders and ministers the gospel coalition did a thing on this that they're saying we don't want to sign the state papers anymore we don't want to be uh you know um, workers for the state because one day they're going to come say to us well you're signing those certificates for the hetero couples but you won't sign these certificates for the gay couples you're guilty of hate crimes so so this is forcing christians to think wait a minute Does the state even have the capacity to rightly understand and define marriage? Do they deserve to be in the business or do we need to take it back in our own hands and say, no, 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 we'll define it now. We'll we'll be the ones who rule over it. And if people want to get your paper for your financial benefits, that's up to them well and fine. So there's a movement in this. I don't know where I stand in that. I think like you said, 99.9% of couples who get married are going to do the normal thing. And I'm absolutely fine with that. Sure. Sure.
0: Let me kind of throw this into the works because, um, I, I can see it coming um, down the road. What happens when the state uh, begins to enforce, like, a marriage tax? Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to get married, you're going to pay a tax, and we're <laughs> to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And so now you have a Christian couple who wants to get married. The only way they can do it to honor God and pay their taxes, you know, I'm um, through the state. So how do we, how do we then deal with, deal with that?
2: Wow. I feel like we need, like, new guests on here. We need a couple, a couple, we need a couple lawyers <laughs> yeah. in here, don't we? That's no insult to you, Steve. Uh, like, I should have just said, I uh, shouldn't be here right now. <laughs> I feel like I'm becoming increasingly dumber as I speak. Uh, I mean, my general thought on that, Nathan, is a great question. I mean, that came up. I think you asked that in an in early podcast with Matt Smith. Yeah. Some Sometimes people will say, "Hey, you know, should we be paying taxes? Some of that money might be going to you know yeah. pro abortion causes uh et cetera I would say I bet some of it is yeah i i am okay with that i'm I'm not okay with abortion, obviously, right, right, but I'm okay that the government asks me for my money, right I give them their money, right. I seek to be a good uh citizen with a salient influence on culture, society." Right. I just think of that in, um, in the Thessalonian correspondence where Paul tells them, uh, do something useful with your hands, settle down, live quiet, peaceable lives, yeah. that I think that is the calling of the Christian. Yeah. Uh, and every podcast, I feel like we're skirting near this political line, yeah. and I just never see a call in scripture to political action, Yeah. ever. So I would say if it becomes a true conscience issue, uh, yes, uh, don't violate your conscience, you know, again, it's the Daniel principle. If if the government passes a law that I'm not allowed to share my faith, right? Yeah. Well, hopefully the the grace of God will be at work in me, and I'll say I'm going to defy that law, right? Uh, because I have to serve a higher one.
1: Now, there are some other reasons why couples are choosing or are not choosing. A state marriage and i wonder what you think of these i'm not sure what i think of these hmm. for example I, I i gotta be vague i know of a situation yes. where um a husband and wife married they've been married for a long long time they both run businesses they're both very successful and they figured out that by getting a divorce on paper they're not divorcing each other. They're still living together. They love each other. They're deeply committed to each other. But by getting a divorce, somehow they would save $60,000 a year in taxes. Interesting. And they got a divorce. But they're still married. They're mm-hmm. as married as you and me. And I'm, I don't mean you and me are married. But <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, that was scary. More that would be a whole other podcast. <laughs> podcast. I just felt this terror <laughs> right there. Yes. Um, and then uh, the, the opposite has happened as well. I, I know of a couple. Let's just keep it vague. And uh, this one's sketchier. Where they're, uh, they're not married and they're not in love and they don't want to live together and they don't want to be married, but they got married mm. for financial reasons. Interesting. All right. So maybe we should scratch that one. But what do you think of the first one Wow, where the couple said, all right, we're going to get a divorce and we're bowing out of the paperwork of our state there in Pennsylvania. And, uh, but yet we're going to still live together, love each other and so on.
2: Wow. My first thought, again, is they shouldn't do that. That's my first thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, I will say, though, Steve, this is a gray area. Quick word, by the way, on gray areas. That came up. Somebody asked me. A person here in our church said, I hate when you use that term, Greg, because they seem to be thinking that I'm saying God is gray. Mm. I'm saying this. If God, sitting in our booth this morning, spoke into the microphone, right? Right? In a better voice than Morgan Freeman could, bring, <laughs> and he speaks to this issue, he's going to have an answer and it's going to be 100% true. Yeah. When I say a gray area, I'm saying these are things that God has not revealed. These are things that God, you're not going to find a chapter and verse on the right. situation, Steve. You just painted it as, mm-hmm. as complex as it is. So I'm saying to me, it's gray. Right. Because I don't know specifically what God would say, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Yeah. So the gray areas are for us. I'm not saying God's gray. I'm not saying God's in heaven scratching his head. Oh, boy, that's a tough I one. I wish I knew what to what do. What would I do in that situation? <laughs> you know, so I just want to be clear on that, that the gray area is for us. Um, I would say, again, I'm thinking of it from the perspective of being in the counseling office, Steve, that I would say, uh, are you communicating, in anybody's eyes, to the state, et cetera, uh, that you're not married, that you're willing to terminate your marriage, more of a, a, you know, from the witnessing standpoint, from what you're manifesting to a watching world. But I'm not, let's just say this if that couple came to me and they expressed their rationale, I would tell them I see this as a gray area. I understand the complexity. They might simply say, Greg, we don't recognize the state at all, so why do we care? Uh, but at the same time, when you're using. Yeah. a legal strategy to, I guess, for lack of a better term, manipulate the state.
1: See, that worries me, too. Yeah, yeah.
2: it raises some yeah. questions.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, are, are you then still really rendering the Caesar what is due? Or are you saying, right. oh, we found a loophole? Right, uh, right. I yeah. think
2: that's that might be the angle. See, you just said it. The loophole angle always makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying there aren't legitimate loopholes, uh, and I don't think we should pay any more taxes than we have to, but when you start messing around with um, my marital status... Uh, yeah, we're really this, but we're actually this, we, we get into some murky waters.
1: Here's what I do like about that couple though, that divorced quote unquote to save the $60,000. At least I like this. I think they got the definition of real marriage. Yes. Right. Yeah. We are still absolutely a man and a woman in covenant together in the presence of God for life. Yeah. Agreed. So I like that about them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I do too. These are, these are tough issues. Uh, to your earlier question, Nathan, too, I'm, I'm perfectly fine if that form ever comes to me again and it comes through a, a homosexual couple uh, that wants to get married, just for me able to be able to sit down, I mean, obviously a great witnessing opportunity. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. What, you know, I would always, Why would you come to me to perform oh. your ceremony would probably be my first thought. Because right. let me share with you what I believe. I believe you're loved by God. I believe that you bear his image. I don't deny the legitimacy of your affections and care for one another. I I understand that, and I hear that. Let me share with you uh, my conviction regarding this issue that comes from Scripture, that I do believe that marriage is uh, one man, one woman, together in covenant for life. Right. Therefore, I'm curious why you would want me. That would be where I would start. Right. Why would you come to me who believes that to perform your ceremony? Right. You know rather than sort of taking the initial stand on the phone don't you dare come near my right. church you know right. obviously we'd want to engage relationally with that that uh, that gay couple lesbian couple right uh, and talk to them but if it you know the rubber meets the road uh, no I wouldn't do it and be happy to tell the state that and right. pay whatever consequences come yep yeah you know and those consequences I wouldn't feel a need to even fight the state and that's another subject that gets us there the idea of Receiving consequences from the state. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, are you guys with me? This? I don't ever picture Paul, if he was arrested for preaching the gospel, that he would have resisted arrest.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I
2: think he would have accepted the arrest right. as a God ordained consequence right. of standing up for his faith. Right. Mm-hmm. So, again, this call to political action and right. overthrow the the powers that are threatening our rights is I hate the phrase Nowhere our in scripture. rights as Christians uh-huh. yeah. yeah yeah you know I, I, I just tend to think our rights
1: those are assumed or imagined yes yeah, yeah.
2: you know it's a, and the whole Christian nation thing yeah. um wow yeah we got to hit that at yeah. some time
0: well and I think too like you hit it Greg you know our our rebellion against an ungodly government is is clearly stated in scripture. Yes. In terms of what they ask us to do and us refusing to do it, but also our submission to their judgment is stated as well. Right.
2: Agreed. Agreed. And that's well coming up in 1 Peter. We're going to hit all hmm. those. Uh, and the idea of submitting to these authorities. And keep in mind, I mean, Paul or Peter are writing this when it's Nero. Yeah. Nero. <laughs> wow. Hey, here's
1: a related subject. I wonder what you would do. This has turned into applied pastoral theology, yes, hasn't yes, it? Yeah. I wonder what you guys would do. Um, this has come up more than a few times. So uh, let's let's say there's a, a couple in your church, and uh, sadly, they they divorce. Mm-hmm. And one of them probably leaves; it goes somewhere else. But one of them stays in your church. Maybe there was an adultery, and the adulterous person left, and the, the one who was sinned against stays, and it ended in divorce. So now they're waiting for their divorce because in Maryland it takes you know a year, right? Yeah, um, right. Yeah. It, it, Incidentally, not many states require that long. Most states are 30 to 60 days. I know. Or 30 to 90 days, less if it's uncontested. Right. Um, but anyhow, so here you are in Maryland, and you're waiting until your year passes. And during that year, they meet somebody, <laughs> and they start to like somebody, Have and they start involved, to hang yeah. out with somebody, and now they're falling in love with somebody, and now they're really, you know, they're actively dating, and they're sitting together in church with arms around each other, and, and inevitably, somebody taps us on the shoulder and says, "Uh, Pastor, aren't isn't she still married? Yeah. Um, here, here's the response we've gotten from those people. Like I've talked to those people, are are you still married and you're dating and, and and they say, and and I'm with them. Mm -hmm. I am with them. Uh, they say, well, you know what? I, I think biblically speaking, um, again, this is like what really defines marriage, what really defines divorce in the Bible you know, God through Moses legislated that if you are divorcing your wife, you've got to give her a bill of divorce. Sure. Right. And then the Hebrews added a tradition that was still very alive in the days of Christ where you had to say three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Are we okay on time? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, if you do that, You're divorced. It's done. You can date somebody that night. Right. You can date somebody next week. But in Maryland, you're sitting here waiting for the state to catch up and waiting for paperwork. And there are reasons why they stretch it out to protect people and all that. But so what do we say to somebody dating in that period? Is it okay or is it not? Now, for me, it is. But I'd like to know what you guys think and why.
2: We've dealt with this too, Steve. Uh, Am I cutting you off, Nathan? No. Go ahead. Because I... um, It's interesting you say that. I would agree with you in principle. I would disagree with you in application. Yes. But it's just an application. Our elders are are wrestling with the same thing too. That I would tend to wonder, because I've had people say, man, if I lived in um, Nebraska. (laughs) If I was in Tennessee, I could marry her right now. I could marry her. And in the bloom where you're planted concept, and I'm not trying to sound hyper-spiritual about this, I'm just wondering, right, and in the sovereignty of God, you're here. Yeah. And in the sovereignty of God, you're in Maryland, which is strange because Maryland is seen, you know, we it's you always hear it politically spoken of as a as a more liberal, very liberal state. Yeah. but it's its divorce laws are very very heavy duty. Yeah, uh, you know, and you're right that year of physical separation, you, there's no way to get around that. So, but I hear you, Steve, and I'm 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 trying to stretch my mind because I've I've got friends uh, that have experienced this um, on the giving and the receiving end. Uh, they've been asked out, in other words, by somebody mm-hmm. who is separated and the divorce is still kind of checks in the mail thing. Um, my general counsel is, again, I would say, look, you're not going to find a clear chapter and verse on the subject. So we're in an area of what can we call it Christian liberty, thinking through things from a conviction standpoint. But in the sovereignty of God, you've been placed in this state where you uh, are required by law to let this go out, and I'm wondering: is that is there something in that for you to contemplate under the sovereignty of God? Yes, if you lived 100 years ago, it would be different. Yes, if you lived in Nebraska, it would be different. Uh, so that's the way I think of it, Steve. But
1: I, I really feel good in this moment because we finally found something that we disagree I on. Love it. We haven't <laughs> had
2: that yet.
1: I was just scared you know yeah, before, so now I'm comforted. I feel yeah. I feel good. Yeah and uh, like you said we don't have chapter or verse on this but i guess i'm operating maybe i'm just operating too much from a position of mercy here's this poor person they suffered they went oh, through know. all that they're my friend they met somebody who looks interesting to them i know and do i say well you have to wait a year and see what happens and by then that person's gone and whatever yeah. so i tend to say well yeah all right go you know, go ahead dating's all right and yeah wait yeah. your time out
2: yeah that sounds like something to be revisited
0: it does, yeah. I'm actually. I do have some thoughts on this, but we are um, we are coming up on that time spot, so this is going to be the teaser. We're going to pick this up the next time we see you, Steve. Definitely. Uh, um, so this this has been great, and uh, Greg, Steve, we just rocked the Caspa. Consider it rocked. These go to eleven.